Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Harper. I'm the host of The Ledge. The Ledge is a podcast based around getting digital artists and me together on a host of topics. These interviews will be deeply personal and in-depth so that I get to know about their upbringing, education, background, and life experience. The goal here is to find out what makes an artist create art. This is Chris Harper here on The Ledge. I'm here this morning with artist Exulo, who's an NFT and digital artist. I found out about you through some drops that you did on Nifty Gateways, and I've been a big fan ever since I saw your work. Thank you so much for your willingness to come on The Ledge and uh, let us know a little more about you, your background, where you're from, your education, um, how you got into digital art. I'm excited to know more about you. And the goal of this podcast is to dig deeper into the backgrounds of artists so that we can connect you to your collector base, you know, and help you uh, find people that are interested in you, uh, learn more about you as they're buying your artwork. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. I just like to start everybody with some really basic questions. I'd like to ask you, like, where are you from? How old are you? Can you tell me your background? Like, what did your parents do? Where'd you grow up? That kind of thing. I mean, yeah, growing up um, originally from Northern California, um, I kind of grew up in the Emerald Triangle area. If anyone's familiar with, it's pretty well known for um, pot growing. Uh, so I grew up around a lot of old hippies. And this is back in... I was like a 90s kid, so I was a kid growing up in the 90s, so I was around a lot of different kind of like that kind of culture of like psychedelics, but I never partaked. And um, yeah, it was kind of like a bit of a lawless county that I'm from, and education wasn't like the best, and you're kind of left to your own like devices and um i was a bit of like a latchkey kid too so my parents would go off to work and then i would come home after school and uh have to figure out what to do until they came home i get the latchkey kid thing man i grew up down in south carolina i'm 50 and uh even back you know i'm probably older than you so you know even back then man like you know my parents would send me to school with a key around my neck you know to get into the house so i get that <laughs> yeah exactly and it allowed me to kind of because i've always kind of been pretty independent and in trying to maybe it's the way my parents taught me but trying to figure out things on my own and luckily enough like I, I said like the education wasn't that great there but i had a really good art teacher did you have access to a computer when you were a kid um yeah, kind of. Just through the elementary school that I went to, they had a uh, computer lab, and they had um, right. a bunch. It was an Apple Mac, old Macintosh computer lab, um, and they always kind of kept that up to date. So there are certain things that were were really good in my education with the creative side, and luckily, like because of the computer. Sure in the computer lab, there was like a lot of, you know, there's probably like paint, but there was some other like software on there that you can like composite different pre-made assets in a software and you can make your own composition. 
So to come like, do you remember what that was called? Do you remember what that program was I, called? <laughs> no, I, I think I looked that up like a few years ago, and I swear, <laughs> and then I completely forgot about it. But I no, think that's it's been totally defunct. Cool. Yeah, this is like I didn't even start using photo. Well, I started using Photoshop because of my neighbor. My neighbor had um, a nice setup, and he was also like a pot grower. So, and he was a musician. So because he was a musician, he had a studio that had a computer there with like a Wacom tablet, copy of Photoshop, and then even 3D software Maya. So I would go there in my early teens to make art and sometimes make art for his, um, his band. So that's when I really got introduced. What kind of art were you creating? What were you doing? Like, There's a lot of experimental stuff because I was still kind of learning the tools, just completely self-taught because at my elementary school, I was being taught fine art by my, my art teacher. And then I got into advanced placement art. So I did a lot of oil painting, printmaking, and watercoloring. And um, that, that's when I knew I wanted to be like an artist, is doing advanced placement art. And then... When I got into digital art uh, and just experimenting completely, you know, getting my feet wet, unknown territory. And he didn't, the, my neighbor didn't really know the software too well, but he's just like, just have fun with it, do your thing. So it was a lot of trying to like recreate what I did, like pencil on paper and doing it on Photoshop. So it was kind of weird at first. For sure. Yeah, but I knew there was a lot of future to it. And, this is like 2001, 2002. And during that time, you know, Lord of the Rings came out and visual effects and um, digital media, digital art uh, had just like a major future for itself. And that's when I know, like, that's what kind of what kind of career I want to get myself into. Something with doing art on the computer. So you have a pretty formal education and background in, in art education wise. Yeah. You have a degree? Yeah, I got a BFA in animation VFX. Wow. So yeah, I went from yeah, doing fine art all the way up into like community college, doing pretty well with that. Was trying to get into like I think UC Santa Cruz, but I just I didn't focus on SAT. I just kinda had like a rogue I I, I kind of picked my education and a bit of a rogue e- education. Like I even dropped out of my final year of high school and went to um, my kind of more of a private education where I can like teach myself more with fine art, but also get like my high school degree. So like universities were were already kind of out of the question because I would have to like do all these other courses, like especially with math that I just completely sucked at. So I ended up getting an education <laughs> at, right, right. at Academy of Art in San Francisco. And um, yeah. Oh, nice. You're, you're, you're pretty much connected to California. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity out there for artists, I guess, more so than maybe other parts of the world. It, I, mean, I definitely felt like that back then in the early two thousands that I felt very fortunate because it felt like it was either California or New York and already be a, being a California native. Um, I was able to tap into those resources pretty easily, um, especially with the arts. So and then it changed like in the past decade, um, 
my my work became more remote based so i can live anywhere and i was kind of getting tired of california and like the forest fires and the you know the drought and so there's so many problems in the cost of living and the gentrification of san francisco and living in la and watching both those cities kind of like feeling like artists were being priced out people were being priced out and i didn't want to live in bakersfield california or fresno you know like these are not the greatest cities and 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 it's just yeah i i we got kind of just tired of living in california so we ended up moving all over now we're in the northeast right on i think if you want to live in san francisco now you have to be like ultra rich (laughs) yeah like even back then when i was in school in like 2007 we uh, had like a a one-bedroom apartment in uh, downtown San Francisco is probably like fourteen hundred dollars back then, but I'm, I think it's probably like three grand a month now. I have a relative that lives in San Francisco, and they're uh, they're in the they're actually yeah, she plays in the symphony in the San Francisco Symphony, and she's got a very a small apartment in San Francisco that she's had for twenty years, but I think it's rent controlled, maybe nice. yeah. Because I, I think it's like almost impossible now for just like average people to live there, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When I Googled you, I was getting ready for this podcast. I, I Googled you and I got to be honest with you, I was pretty blown away at your resume that kind of popped up online. Like you have a pretty extensive resume on IMDb. <laughs> and, you know, like yeah. if you want to talk about that some, like yeah, your experience totally. with uh, VFX and how you got into uh, – the movie industry and all of that. Can you talk about that? Some of that? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, even going back to like my neighbor and going to his place. Um, and then, you know, being a teenager growing up on Lord of the Rings and knowing, and like, you know, like especially like Avatar even, but just knowing that like the effects, it, it can become a pretty like solid career, even though it has some bumps in the road. But I just knew it was just something really cool to do, something new and exciting and challenging for myself. And I think just deep down, I wanted to challenge myself. And it felt sounded the most interesting career path. So that's when I went to yeah get my education, focus on that. So a lot of my teachers in the VFX are from the VFX industry, and they came from ILM, and they worked on like... Can you... Can you can you kind of just tell me like in layman's terms what how you would describe VFX for people listening that maybe don't understand or don't know what we're talking about? Yeah, VFX stands for visual effects and it's computer generated CGI done on like the computer. And it takes large teams. People are very visually familiar with it because of like the explosive CGI happened in the past decade with the Marvel films. So sure. um Avatar, which is, you know, a lot of that's like motion capture body suits. So um, my focus isn't on like character stuff. My, my stuff was on matte painting and matte painting has like a huge background in like even old school films where they used to paint on glass. So um, think of like, I think of a really, I mean, Lord of the Rings is a great example or even like uh, the Avatar film or, it's there's sure. a ton of matte paintings and 3D environments and the Marvel films. So it's it's just like recreating uh, whatever is like it could be shot on a blue screen or a green screen, 
and whatever is like behind the characters is 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 what you're painting. Yeah, and it's not technically like painting like it used to be. Matte painting used to be like uh, uh, maybe mid '90s prior and before that, it was painted on glass and like it's kind of like a bit hard to explain. Plus, like I've never done it; I've only like kind of studied it and how it was done. But it was right on, right on. <laughs> it, it, it very old school, and like it's like a camera, and they shoot the scene, and then like there's a painter that paints behind whatever they're, they're shooting is there a market for that type of art now like do people buy that stuff do you know um well when i was i don't know that much about it so i'm asking yeah i wouldn't say so at all like i mean it's very well known even like in the nft community that like a lot of these digital artists like myself that were doing stuff even like vfx or commercial gigs like it was just client work. That's all it was. That that's how we got paid. It's doing these these client yep. projects, and sure. um, you can like make prints or make merch. And this is like prior to like NFT boom, and that's how you can make like some side money and stuff and creating t-shirts, hats, pens, stickers, things like that. Yeah. So like creating like when I. Uh, my, my, my wife and I uh, created Exulo like in 2015. And this is when I was like, got out of, not got out of, but I want to reintroduce the fine art, the, the personal art side of me, the personal expression. And being able to work remote and do VFX allowed me like a free time to actually like dive back into like my own personal creativeness. And right. that's where like Exulo came about. So not only like, you know, creating the name and then, you know, gaining a lot of followers on social media, it um, helps create like a community fan base where people can buy your merch, buy your, your, your prints. And then also uh, you can get client work out of that where it's like you're actually making art that you really like and the clients will respect your style and your aesthetics. So it's a bit different VFX where it's like VFX is like, you have to follow all these kind of rules and making sure because you're working in a large team, making sure it's very technical and art with VFX. What's the average size of a team that works on a VFX project like that? Is it like five people or 20 people or how, how is that? It varies. I worked on in small studios on um, smaller projects uh, that were like, yeah, five people actually. Five, I mean, yeah, you know, right like five to ten people, and it's very intimate. That's a lot of people's personalities and inputs and yeah. creative ideas. Is that hard to do? How do you manage working with like people like that? Oh, I love it. I mean, I love it when it's smaller teams too. Because um, and then there's teams of like a hundred, even like five hundred people. Oh. Like a, like a VFX <laughs> studio, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like on Iron Man. I worked on, yeah, Iron Man 3. And it was it was super chill, though. It was like a really chill studio because everyone was very uh, professional uh, at Digital Domain because they have a long track record history. It was founded by like James Cameron and um, a guy that goes by the name Scott Ross. But James Cameron being, you know, Terminator, Avatar, Titanic, all that stuff. So... Yeah, major. Yeah, so <laughs> major movie. Yeah, major. 
that's amazing that you yeah. that you got that opportunity. What a feather in your cap for your career, huh? Yeah, it really did. It really was. Um, there are some drawbacks to the VFX like industry being like overworked, working long hours. Um, pay can be good. Pay can be not good. It depends on who you're working for. And sometimes you're just kind of treated like a, a cog in a wheel, um, especially in a lot larger groups. But when it's small and intimate, like five people, it's actually like your input can be heard and, you feel like you get more respect as an artist when you're in like a smaller setting like that. Yeah. So when I do film stuff, I mean, I've done in the past couple of years on and off, not as much because of the NFT stuff, but um, I worked on, yeah, like larger teams. I mean, now it's like all remote based now, but uh, I always go back to um, this one film director and I help like do the VFX for him and his poster art my ex style. And what's nice about like working with, I get to work directly with this director and it's a small team and, you know, I, ha- I can have creative input. So him and I, you know, always come back to each other. So when he has like a, a film he needs my help with, I always set some time aside for him. So I was going to say, you have such an impressive resume. Do you, are you, do you get a lot of demand on your time? You get, are you, I mean, it seems like you're probably a pretty busy guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, part of it's like you can like kind of choose, pick and choose or seek it out. Um, these days, like my focus has been so much on my own digital art, my own like creative endeavors. So I, I kind of put it aside. But um, yeah, I think I do get like pinged off and on. And sometimes like it's bad timing because I might be working on like a NFT drop and in the end, I'm kind of happy I focused on that because it's just there's just so much more pleasure that comes from being able to, to do this stuff compared to a client. But I don't like burning bridges. But yeah, like to yeah to answer your question, yeah, sometimes it gets busy. It's usually quiet around like this time of year, but in fall and like spring, it's kind of seasonal with VFX. I can imagine that there's like film schedules, I guess, with movies and shows, right? They film during certain months and they're off during certain months. Exactly. I live in a town where there's a lot of film here. We have a couple of big like HBO shows that film here in my, the city where I live and, uh, you know, yeah. So I kind of see when they're coming and going because, you know, they block off streets and, you know, it's a big production going on. That's cool. Do you like it? Do you like seeing it's interesting. Huh? It is. Yeah. I'm all, I love film. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, 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 I love movies. I've, I've been a movie buff my entire life. Oh, like, nice. The big CGI movies like Avatar is like one of my favorite movies. You know, yeah. I love those Marvel movies. So some of the stuff you've worked on, like I'm like huge fan. You know? yeah. So that, yeah, so that was part of, uh, part of my excitement this morning when I knew I was going to be able to get the interview and ask you some questions about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Film has definitely like played a major role. Um, I mean, looking back, even my childhood, I mean, like growing up like eighties films, like Goonies comes to mind. There's so many other one, like, like the monsters or something like that. And you have any favorite movies? What's your favorite movies? You have oh anything God. You really I mean, like? I love, I love what Darren Aronofsky does and he's done, um, uh, He's done a movie called Pie, um, 
one of his first films when he did like Requiem for a Dream that was really popular in the early 2000s. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah that movie, that movie, that movie just makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's it's for sure. Yeah, which is always what I like in films. I've gotten into like yeah some really like obscure stuff, foreign films. Um, grew up studying a bit of film, Akira Kurosawa. Um, shoot, Seven Samurai. That was inspi- uh, that inspired like Star Wars. I grew up on Star Wars a bit, like the the original ones, and uh, it was always kind of cool, like growing up in Northern California and realizing that oh wow they they shot one of the Star Wars in the Redwood Redwoods up in California and go That's out there go the camping <laughs> yeah yeah we went camping yeah. out there and it was kind of neat like as a kid to to see a lot of these film locations. Uh, like Stand By Me was like the 90s. What an incredible movie. Yeah, and they shot that all up in uh, Northern California and Southern Oregon, so I was all familiar with it. And um, yeah, a lot of these played major roles, you know, in inspiring my art, uh, Ghost in the Shell, Akira. Um, and I feel like I kind of referenced like anime because uh, I feel like, um, and even like kind of things like Terminator because a lot of my stuff does like, your art definitely has a has a vibe. Would you just how do you describe that vibe that your um, that your digital art that you're creating now is NFTs? What do you? I think I read uh, like cybernetic post gender punk world vibe. Does yeah. that sound? Someone that wrote that for bio. me. Yeah, someone wrote it for me. So I'm like, I'm just gonna right. like parrot whatever other people say, and I like hearing other people's input because sometimes I. You know, I'm literally like this, like this far away from the screen, drawing and doing it. Sometimes I don't step back and see the bigger picture, and like, or or look at the entire body of work with a fresh mind, because I'm always used to seeing it. So sometimes, like, my definition can maybe get a bit lost. But I like hearing what people have to say because they they kind of, I think people kind of nail it, and 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 I think say it in a really nice elegant way um there is another artist that said my stuff is like visceral very visceral and very like raw um that's a great the description of it i would agree yeah with that, totally um i've always been inspired by colors so since i was young so. there's a lot of color it pops it's definitely got that vibe yeah. and, and then there's something about your art and it seems like a lot of like you know it's kind of like the connection of people or like you know, the energy's flowing from one body to the next, that type of thing, or flowing out of, you know, the brain. How do you describe that? It is like, it is like people's energies and auras and like, auras, um, yeah, for sure. that's a lot of like the, all of that terminology and all of that kind of like culture, like, um, in Northern California, just like all of the white hippies taking a lot of stuff from, like Eastern practices and meditation. And uh, there is, there's like this place called, a, um, it's, a, it's a Buddhist temple actually yeah, in my hometown. And my, um, so my birth mother was like the gardener there. And it was my first time meeting her when I was like in my later years. And she's like gardening oh, wow. in this Buddha, Buddhist temple. And like, I met like, um, Forgot what they're uh, a few monks that knew like the Dalai Lama and they're like prepping made a big meal. It's like you find that like even in yeah Northern California where you can find a lot of like 
hillbillies and rednecks and oaky kind of people out in Northern California, but there's also a lot of hippies and, um, and that whole spirituality is kind of injected in my art naturally. Cause I just was always around. Are you a spiritual person? You have, do you into yeah. that kind of thing? Is that, you? yeah. 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 I think I, I always kind of, I feel like I'm pretty receptive and like kind of a bit of a sponge and I can feed off of people's energies easily and vibes. So, and I kind of always go with the flow. I think that's, that's a lot of, a lot of artists, a lot of, I think a lot of artists have that kind of empath, empathic kind of vibe, you know, where you kind of feel other people's stuff. Yeah. I always tell people I'm spiritual, not religious, you know, definitely feeling the, the vibes of the universe. But <laughs> exactly. I like that spiritual, but yeah, not religious. Cause I, yeah, I went to church for a really small stint of time my family and I think my family's like, ah, I don't see the ne- necessary to go every Sunday. So he stopped doing church at a young age and stay at home on Sundays to do art. <laughs> I had the same kind of experience. Myself. Yeah, I think it's calm. I was man. like kind of, kind of young and then, you know, kind of faded off. Yeah. What, what onboarded you to the world of like NFTs? Let's talk about that. Like, are you into crypto? How did you get from, working on VFX film, like to and be a, like a fine artist and doing that type of work to all of a sudden now you're like minting NFTs on the blockchain, which is a pretty big leap, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, it's coming from like, there's an element of finance in there. And um, you know, I always thought I was pretty good with my money and yeah, you kind of have to like be like that when you're on your, you're on your own as an artist and you're working with client work and it's not like steady always steady income or always like, um, you know, it's not like quite a nine to five. So used to that chaos. So therefore I guess that may be used to the ups and downs with crypto. And yeah, like I think I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011. And I think around then they're saying like, um, that uh, college students that graduated at a certain time could get like a Bitcoin or something like that. And all you needed was your, your login, like your, your, your college uh, email address. And uh, my girlfriend and my wife um, at the time we were trying to do that, but failed. I don't think, yeah, we didn't get any, anything out of it. And I just, yeah, I heard a lot about people mining it, people getting graphic cards, people using the same technology as um, visual effects. You know, they they take these graphic cards and build like these huge towers. And like, that looks like a render station, like a, a rendering station that like creates like visual effects. It helps render like the 3D animation and all that stuff, a big render farm and it, it's like the same technology being injected and created like with mining. So I think I already, I already understood it and I was already kind of a tech kid growing up. I already was like interested in, in technology since yeah, the late nineties. So I got it. I got why the convenience of it, of uh, quick transactions, low fees uh, back then. But yeah, I kind of put a pause on it. And didn't really pay much attention to crypto from 2011 until uh, mid 2020. So a bit a bit long gap of time, not reading about it, not doing anything with it, not even like looking into it. I was just focused on my career. So 
Um, I started seeing uh, is it SXX Blau, which is Slime Sunday Blau collab. Um, I saw them like create a Instagram page, and Slime Sunday and I follow each other for quite some time. And I'm like, he's up to something pretty cool. I thought it was just a collaborate, collaborative, fun project that they're doing, like with the yeah, musician. Slime, and, Slime Sunday is totally yeah. an OG in the NFT yeah. space for sure. So yeah. I saw him up to something, and then I might have just like DM'd him on Instagram of like asking him about it, or maybe he. I would have to look at in my message. Maybe he he messaged me, but definitely we started a conversation about it, and he's like super enthusiastic, and then. He was telling me all the benefits from it and how it's been really like a, a positive experience for him because he was in a point where he's like, I'm not sure what I want to do with my art or how to sell my art. And then NFTs changed it for him. And so I was very excited for him and like to the point where it's like, man, you know, like there's got to be something here. So he, yeah, he hooked me up with Nifty Gateway and suggested Super Rare. And this is at the time when, it was like October of 2020. So I reached out to Super Air. They got back. I got onto Super Air like within like a month. Um, so very fortunate, just a right time and place. And I had a lot of connections with these guys, Slime Sunday, uh, Fuck Render. We all knew each other, uh, Aphoria. And then I started meeting uh, other people as well. I, I got introduced like uh, G-Monk and PlayStation. Uh, and these guys, uh, I find out, come from an even older generation of artists. So a lot of respect for them. And yeah, it was just like this explosive, raw, fun, completely knowing it's going to get even bigger. And this is like in November of 2020. So, you got bit yeah, by the bug pretty early. Yeah, yeah, sounds like you got... You, you. Very euphoric. <laughs> it was like an euphoric feeling. Yeah, it was like... I can totally relate to that. When I found out, you know, I got, I found out about NFTs because of Beeple. So Beeple lives in the town where I live. I live in Chelsea. (laughs) So, you know, so I'd never heard of NFTs, but I was like you, I had been uh, into crypto for years, but not really into crypto somewhat, you know, I had some exposure to it and I had bought Bitcoin and I was, you know, you know, a believer in the future of crypto for sure. But when yeah. I heard about Beeple's sale for $65 oh, yeah. million, dollars, yeah. I was wow. like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And that's when I started unpeeling that layers of that onion, man, I was in the NFT rabbit hole just completely. Yeah. Yeah. I just went crazy and frantic and he, he's always been, yeah, well known in the digital art community. He actually kind of helped me get my, I lost my Instagram uh, page um, prior to NFTs and stuff uh, because of like censorship. Uh, I was, I was kind of pushing oh, no. yeah buttons with just illustrations. And they even said it back then where it's like, you can have new. Like some of your illustrations definitely have like, uh, you know, like the, the figures are unclothed or whatever. Is that yeah. What a lot of not safe for work and like really kind of pushing and like having fun and with it at the same time, but it was definitely like mature content. And I, I kept pushing the buttons with it. And I know Slime Sunday dealt with it as well. Uh, and yeah, I just uh, opened up my Instagram account one day and I, I couldn't open it up anymore. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, 
I'm almost like a hundred thousand followers and I, I probably lost, you know, some income out of that with like, you know, like a reach and, and having to restart. And then I, uh, um, I think people end up reaching out to me and he's like, Oh shit, what the fuck happened? And explained what happened. And he's like, Oh man, like we, he felt very confident that he can get back up and, uh, hooked up with, with someone and we were able to recover it. So, I looked at your Instagram. I feel like you have a lot of followers now, right? You have a good. I think it's like 120k, and that's what's interesting with them. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I forget. Like sometimes, sometimes I forget. Like I don't like get too tripped up with the numbers. I do notice that like there's ebbs and flows with social media. Like everyone that was on Instagram, like at the time when like the people sailed and stuff, and then every all the artists there are all Instagram native, but they notice the crypto and NFT community was on Twitter. So everyone kind of like jump shipped because people were already having like issues with Instagram, which is, you know, fair to say because of Facebook and all that, that mess. So, um, people felt like it was hard to like grow audiences more and more over the years. So people just kind of jumped over onto Twitter. Now, I think people are kind of using both, but I think a lot of artists are more Twitter focused right now. Yeah, I think it's a good good use of, of both. So for words and writing and to like grow an engagement, Twitter definitely works. And then, yeah. then Instagram's a great place to like just show, showcase your work, you know? And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can scroll through your Instagram right now and see like tons of your work. And it's like, I mean, all of it's so awesome, man. So it's, I appreciate it's really it. To just kind of breeze through there. What was the first thing you minted as an NFT? What was your first NFT that you like put on the blockchain? Uh, uh, it was called Need, Need No Zanny. Uh, um, it was an illustration of like this kid being ripped apart, <laughs> but it's all like very colorful. It's weird like saying it, but it, you have to see it. It's just a very colorful illustration. Kid getting like shredded, ripped apart. I guess you'd say very inspired by Akira, but it's also very, it comes from like a very personal place and um, all these like pills flying. It just felt like that whole, again, visceral, raw. And I wanted something like heavy hitting and something that would like kind of like stand out and represent my style and kind of maybe represent a bit of my art and my vibe and has like words in a way that will catch people's attention. So it's kind of like a way to like, Hey, I'm here, you know, I'm making that's, my mark. It's on super rare. It's on yeah. super rare. Yeah. It was on super rare. How do you connect with your collectors? Do you, how does that work for you? Do you like talk to people that collect your art and like try to build relationships with collectors? Do you have, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. I try to be like, try to be casual and just like, um, not pushy. You know, if someone connects with the art, someone connects with the art. Um, yeah, it, it kind of comes from multiple angles where it's like maybe the collector is already a big fan of me, my art, and we'll reach out and we can start a conversation with that and, you know, talk about anything, and, you know, how we got in the space and, you know, uh, you know everything under the sun. And or... Um, I'll notice that, oh, wow, like this person's like maybe an OG collector from Super Rare. They're very much respected and uh, I love the art that they collect and like I can really kind of connect with what their their body of collection is and their, 
their eye and their taste to the point where I, hmm, I, you know, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll enjoy my artwork. So I would kind of, I would reach out and try to start a conversation with them. A lot of, a lot of positive stuff comes out of it. People are very respectful and it's not about copy paste messages and spamming people. You know, I, I did that with like VFX work where <laughs> with clients and my, my VFX, VFX career, I would just like copy paste spam send messages. Here's my resume. But with NFTs and uh, reaching out to collectors, it's it's way more of like a one-on-one. And um, yeah, people are pretty cool. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you have some some of your artworks that are in some really major collectors <laughs> wallets right now. Like I think you got Barat Karamo. Yeah, the, yeah. He's one of those OG collections. collectors. Yep, yeah. yeah. He's an OG. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. he's anybody else that uh, – uh, um (laughs) i'm always like i i've been away from it for a while but um you know like 888's collecting my stuff there's oh yeah a free card free card's a great one he's a big supporter he's collected my stuff um both on nifty and in general and he's been uh like shout out to free card because um he helped me out a lot too, and uh, I think I might have gotten my one of my wallets hacked um, back when it was exploding with um, the NFT in like 2021. So very how awesome. Bad, how bad was the hack? Um, I, I think I might have signed something I shouldn't have signed on OpenSea, and they like drained my wallet of like maybe like Did they get the- ten ETH, I think, at the time. Oh, Not pretty. Man, that sucks. <laughs> Or maybe it was like five. Um, oh, uh, Mondo, the great Mondo. Uh, he does stuff with OSF. OSF is also collected and then passed my artwork down to others. Uh, the Alchemist is amazing. He's a super awesome dude. He uh, one of my early collectors. Um, and now he's getting into photography, um, NFTs himself. And I think he's now minting on Super Rare. The Alchemist. Um, West Coast Bill's awesome. Um, I think he has, I don't know if he collects much anymore, uh, NFTs, but he was kind of one of those guys that likes to collect art for the art's sake of it and um, ask uh, another guy that collected Cathexis on Super Rare is Axel, and he actually was. Um, buying my prints before NFT boom, so that was really neat. That here's someone so you that have was, some physical prints out there available, huh? Yeah. Is there anything like that out there for sale, or is that something that's hard to come by now? Uh, right now, because my focus hasn't been on it, and I want to. Uh, I think because now with like screens and um, other elements to like the technology now, digital art becoming like digital or, you know, becoming in the physical world, it would be really cool to get back into, like, um, prints or some form. I know Ruben Wu, he does, like, I've seen videos where he has, uh, he's a photographer, Ruben, if I'm saying his name uh, right. 
I'll, don't even feel bad. I feel like the same way with everybody's name on Twitter, yeah. man. Like all these people have like these <laughs> handles and names. It's like I make up my version of it. How it sounds to me, by the way. I, read it. I don't yeah. know if it's right or not. <laughs> exactly. Like I always see. I think it. we're all. Always... I think we all feel the same, though, man. I don't think you're alone in that. Like everybody's exactly. everybody on Twitter's like, uh, maybe I'm saying his name right. I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is always kind of that. That I hope I'm not offending, <laughs> but I think people are pretty chill about it. Yeah, Ruben does really cool physical prints where it's like moving because uh, he does these an- beautiful animations. So people are doing really cool shit. Um, yeah, another collector also is uh, Fast Tackle and Oh Shiny as well. Those two guys. Oh yeah, man, those are some huge names and major major NFT collectors. Do you ever collaborate? Have you I, actually? I I know the answer to this question because I just saw something that's coming up that you do have a collaboration coming up, maybe this week. Yeah, actually, and um, yeah, Nifty Gateway drop uh, curated by three three with Sinclair, right? Yeah, and then the, uh, it's a complete visual mashup of our styles. But yeah, with Sinclair, who's awesome. He's like the young it's artist Sinclair's from Chicago. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how do you? How was that? Did you like working with them? And how did that go? So him and I, like Sinclair and I, started a conversation back in um, it was like May of 2021. So you know, maybe over a year, almost a year and a half ago, we both knew that man, we we really want to do like a collab, and it might be like on Super Rare. And we played around with ideas, and uh, we knew we had similar collectors and. We just um, clicked the way the way he thinks, and it just meshed really well. And he has kind of more of a fine art um, approach to things, which I really appreciate. So taking my more digital stuff and mixing in with his style. So it's always been a blast working with him. And uh, we kind of put like a pin in it. We kind of put a pause because I think just things were so crazy. And I think uh, we're both kind of just focused on building our own collection and not doing as many like collabs uh, in 2001. So we thought this time it'd be a perfect time to, to uh, jump back in. Yeah. And do this. It's uh, a collection of six pieces. Um, two is like his pieces, two are my pieces. And then we have two that are a complete collaborative pieces. And that was curated by 33 NFT. Yeah, yeah, correct. How do you get how do you get picked up by 33 NFT? That's so awesome. I'm in their Discord, like he's like an OG like mm-hmm. curator, right? Like Yeah, yeah, he's been around since all of it like exploded. Uh, I was Sinclair that that hooked me up with him cuz I think nice. um he might have worked with him in the past. So yeah, yeah, kudos to Sinclair for for, you know, um bridging that gap. So that was really neat. Well, congratulations to you for getting yourself into that situation. And if I wanted to collect your art right now, would you direct me to a nifty gateway or where, where would be like the, the primary place to go look for stuff by Sulo? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're looking for additions, I do have a couple of open editions on um, nifty and that's kind of where I fo- keep my focus on um, more curated edition count. And you can, yeah, definitely find it at Nifty Gateway, Xulo. And then also I have some stuff up um, 
it was at the time called Hen, and now it's like uh, just Tezos object.com or something like that. Oh, right on. Yeah. The OBJ. I can't even like spell the rest. Something like that. I it's think, like object. <laughs> object. Yeah. I it, think that's right. <laughs> I don't collect on there very much personally. I've looked through there, but it's not where I, my primary collections on. Actually, most of what I've collected came through Nifty Gateway and the, as far as art, art NFTs. How do you view like putting a value on your art? I was going to ask you this. I looked at a, at a piece you had on super rare that you had a reserve price of like 20 ETH and you had, somebody made an offer, a pretty high offer. It looked like it was just kind of sitting out there and you, you didn't take it. So how do you value art? How do you, how do you decide like what something's worth? Can you talk through that thought process a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of like a, an interesting thing to kind of navigate because sometimes it can reflect on, where the market's at, but also knowing your own value and not underselling yourself. Uh, a lot of it, it kind of was just like a natural progression of, of sales. In the beginning, I mean, prior to NFTs, um, I entered in a competition. I never really put in a, a value for my artwork. And... Um, it was a competition that was uh, cu- uh, curated with uh, Juxtapose Magazine and High Fructose, all those guys. And it was like featured through High Times Magazine. It was a cannabis art poster uh, competition. And whoever's the first prize, you know, winner gets um, $25,000 worth of, of prize money. Some of that being like donated, but 25K is, yeah, like the. Um, the, the first place prize and then your artwork is also uh being uh put in different sh- uh cannabis shops in california especially in oakland and the bay area so my um so i entered it in this competition in 2019 and there was like this is one of the bigger years too there must have been like 500 a thousand entries worldwide and yeah i just spent like three months on making this cannabis inspired cyberpunk piece and i ended up getting first place and i uh, wow. got the, yeah that 25k so like ever since then like i knew deep down at some point like that was kind of like maybe my bit of my bottom line or that was like how i can value a one-off life. piece yeah yeah it was like kind of in that realm but like starting out um getting my feet wet in nfts i didn't want to like I kind of wanted to feel where the market was and let it kind of decide and let it kind of be organic and let it kind of grow. And um, I kind of have a basic idea of numbers. Sometimes it's hard to price my artwork in ETH because you'll say it's 20 ETH, you know, now and might explode and that's like twice the amount. Some people look at it in the US dollar value. So you have to kind of like... For sure you know, find this kind of middle ground with it. So yeah, it was a bit of organic, but knowing like a solid number in my head for these pieces, that's like fair and and reasonable and also not cutting myself short too. And knowing my value and all that, all the effort, Let's you know. That's part of the game in the NFT world, man, is like, you know, is like, 
buying art in ETH, but also trying to like buy great art when ETH is really low. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, right? it's a, it's a t- yeah. totally different feeling. Super good art when uh, when it, the price of ETH drops, man. Yeah, it can be a bargain. Yeah, I think For yeah, sure. it's a, and it's a great time like now to like do collaborations and um, you know, I, I love doing like the collector rewards on Nifty Gateway and to. Uh, periodically, especially when it's like I do a really solid collection and I gather, gain new new collectors, I'd like to eventually like reward those people that hold on to those those NFTs. That's uh, that's amazing, and I always yeah. appreciate artists that do that with artists that I hold. How do you um, view additions and like dilution of your your art? You know, do you feel um, large addition sizes dilute dilute the value of it? Um. I think everyone has like their opinion. Maybe people get hard set on that. Uh, I think uh, I liked what someone said once. Uh, Roger Dickerman, he does um, Artifacts Project. Uh, yeah. yeah, he OG collector guy uh, does the podcast with Parrot um, Origin Stories. Super, Origin super story, awesome. Sure. Yeah, super awesome guy. Yeah. Was there in the beginning, and I think he. I don't know where I saw it. Maybe it was on his podcast, but he said that um, looking at it separately, those additions are priced at that point because it's like that's what it's for. Is the artwork was to be broken into additions, and that's uh, for that. And it's not going to affect your one-on-ones in ways. I mean, they do kind of play like the market kind of does reflect that. And yeah, no, um, I, I see that in, in like, like good artists, you know, if you yeah. got a piece on super rare, that's $60,000 and you got a one of 10 edition, you know, you would probably expect the addition to run somewhere like four or five, $6,000. Right. And so yeah. that, that kind of, that does track in a lot of cases. And what I do notice that if I, I make a, uh, a sale on super rare, then I notice that people like to buy up my additions on nifty. And even like vice versa. So there is like a play between the two. Um, I know collectors I've seen that I re- really respect that do say that it can dilute the market. I see where they're coming from. So that's kind of where I don't want to do. I don't like doing open editions too often. Um, some people are like collectors are like totally against. They, they think it can ruin um, and dilute doing these open editions. But I think it's a it's a nice way to um, open up uh, a larger collector base. I totally agree with you. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't have any problem with open editions. I have quite a few in my collection, and I um, I always find like you know some of the open edition pieces that I hold in my wallet are from people that I would not be able to afford a one of one of theirs. You know, like it's just it's out of reach. Some of it's so expensive. You know, when you're looking at something that's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, and, but you can buy a, an open edition piece for a grand or a couple grand, you know, it's, it's nice to have a piece of their artwork and exactly. We're so early, you know, yeah. we're so early. So. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it really like, like sometimes I just sit there and like wonder like all the time that's passed and it does feel yeah, it does feel like um, it's still like in its baby stages. The NFT stuff. Where do you see the art market going? Do you do you have like a idea where all this might go? What's your thoughts on that? 
Um, I always like to think that no matter what, people are always going to like collect art. Um, I think it's like in our DNA and it goes back for centuries. Um, people will always kind of connect with something and appreciate it. And um, I think, yeah, definitely uh, this echoes what people were saying in 2021 of that um, now we'll be able to kind of bridge the gap between like the fine art world and, and the the old draconian way of, of the fine art museums and the MoMAs and bridge that gap with like digital art. Um, it's just so ridiculous to think that uh, there's this line between the two because you can go into a MoMA or LACMA, you know, these museums in the city like LA and all over countries just like you'll go in there and you'll find like videography and you'll find uh some stuff that is digital so um i just definitely see yeah like um being able to kind of uh stand that ground and and make good art and have fun with it I, i think digital art is pretty revolutionary and it only makes sense that it's just gonna grow and I think people are already used to seeing things digitally on their screens and being able to connect with it, like in a physical sense too. So I definitely agree with you. Like the natural progression is that we're all that it's, that it's all headed that way for sure. And that the traditional art world and the digital art world definitely have some reconciliations to make with each other. I had an experience recently when I went into a gallery down here where I live, I live in a kind of, you know, little arty town and there's some, galleries downtown where i live here and i walked in a gallery and i asked them where the nft wall was and i mean i got berated by the curator you know she was just like you know telling me all the reasons why nfts were the evil of the world you know (laughs) (laughs) bad for the environment you know it was too easy to like copy you know copy other artists work and you know she just had like this whole laundry list of things why it was was yeah. bad and i didn't get into the argument with her because i didn't want to yeah. but, it's an easy you know, like, in my head i was like you're so wrong <laughs> like yeah. you know <laughs> oh yeah i feel like people just read the headlines and are so like, extreme in their opinions um <clears throat> and not understanding that i mean yeah nfts and even like crypto their carbon footprint is still smaller than the traditional financial banking system in the world. So that's for sure, you know, and now with ETH going to like proof of, um, proof of stake. Yeah. So is that proof of work? Now it's like proof of stake. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I always mix the words up, but yeah, proof of stake. It is. It is. Yeah. It's it's moving to proof of stake, which is a lot cleaner for the environment for sure. But even in the, even in the, proof of work like Bitcoin, it encourages mining companies that are, you know, using like dirty energy mm-hmm. to refine that and try to find renewable energy. I mean, it's driving the evolution of the energy world, yeah. you know, to find cleaner and more sustainable solutions. So, I mean, in, in, in reality, it's it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people think when they think it's, you know, it's, it's bad for the environment. It's actually really good for the environment. Yeah. And there's, there's going to be a lot of possibilities to do, especially with NFTs. But it's funny, like, you know, hearing your story with that and with the, honestly, those kind of people, they they are afraid. Sometimes people are afraid of change. And that makes me think of when I was going to school, my, my wife, 
uh, studied fashion, the fashion department there. And they're very traditional. They didn't, weren't embracing of like digital art at all or, or doing like anything digitally. It was all like hand done. And um, the teachers that she had come from like the high fashion uh, industry and have done like some amazing things and know like some top tier people uh, like Vivian Westwood and all that stuff. And they just didn't like the idea of anything digital because uh, I think they find it as like it's a threat, but all it is is a, it's a new tool. You know, that's you all. You and I have so much in common, man. Actually, <laughs> my fiance's got a fashion background. She's oh, like, cool. a, she came, she came from fashion. You know, and right. so we talk a lot about like the the possibility for the fashion industry and yeah. the digital revolution and NFTs. And actually, I'm in a I'm in a group, you know, I hold, I, uh, I'm in the G money group. Do you know who G money is? He's doing the, nice. uh, he's doing like this whole fashion drop oh, right? yeah. out of this admit one community where, um, you know, there's, um, d- digital provenance of a actual t-shirt that they're creating where you can like scan, there's like a skit, you can scan it with your phone and then it pulls the NFT from your wallet from the wallet it's into your the next wallet if you were to transfer ownership it's really cool it makes sense like i mean uh i think g money is the one that said like he was inspired by like his like i don't know nephew or um that uh would collect stuff on like Fortnite, you know uh, right from the skins on Fortnite, where you yeah. don't you know where you're buying skins on Fortnite, but you really don't own it right yeah and like uh fashion does make a lot of sense in having qr codes where you um it can be a digital duplicate uh, uh, in the virtual world. So you can actually have this shirt or this pair of pants or even shoes have a QR code on it. And I'm sure people have already discussed. I'm sure people are already working on this stuff and then having like a no, virtual it's, avatar. It's, it's happening. So <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Uh, merging that that's merging those two worlds right there. Uh, the physical and the, the virtual and fashion. And uh, yeah, I think that's really neat. It's, it's nothing to be afraid of and people that scoff and poo poo on it, um, deep down, they're just, they don't understand it. And, uh, when they don't understand something, they become, you know, afraid or, or they put walls up. So I think that's, that's a problem in America to begin with. So. Of course. At large. And that's, that's a pretty pervasive problem in our society at large. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think fear keeps, keeps the wheels of progress moving very slowly. Yeah. 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 It's definitely like in ways, a double edged sword. Um, it can be motivating, but also can hold us back. So but I think what mm-hmm. NFTs are doing is pretty exciting. I think it cuts against the grain, which is cool. And it, it absolutely does. Besides the drop that you have coming up on Nifty Gateway this week, you have this collaboration with 33 NFT Sinclair. This drop's happening what on the 25th? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's happening this yeah this right 25th on Nifty Gateway. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about? Like, are you doing any projects that you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, Dave Krugman and I are doing something pretty cool. Um, that's all I can say. Uh, it's something <laughs> different. Um, uh, there might, it might come to fruition. Um, so there might be something with that. And then I'm, uh, I've been working behind the scenes on my own, uh, collection. Uh, it's, um, 
it's like a butterfly collection. Uh, so very inspired by, you know, the physical uh, people that actually do collect or are fascinated with butterflies. So was inspired by that and uh, what Damien Hirst has done with um, Damien Hirst recently did these splotch paintings uh, with, I think maybe like oil or acrylic on canvas of these uh, cherry blossom trees. So he does these. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it was inspired by making kind of like a one of one art, but it's a part of a large collection. So each butterfly is unique from, from one another. And it's not like uh, board ape where it's just you're, you're swapping elements to compose something different. So it's not reoccurring. There is like reoccurring themes, but it's different each time. And it's all like hand Do you done. work with a team or do you just work alone? How do you, how do you, how do you pull together all that? You know, I mean, do, to do all of that, I'm sure is an, an immense amount of work, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the, the um, the visual digital art side, it's mostly me. And then it's my wife that helps me out a lot. Like kind of, she has like the more creative eye, like an art direction eye and sees like the bigger picture. So she's actually helped me conceptualize it and, and uh, put it together and, and put notes down, gives me notes. And then I, I create it and I put all the magic into it, but she pretty much kind of the, the mastermind behind conceptualizing it and giving birth to it. And then I'm glad uh, you mentioned yeah. that. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause in your bio on your website, it says that your ex is a husband wife team. You yeah. Know, how do you, so it was her, my wife that convinced me to back in 2015 when I wanted to make my own art. Cause I started making my own personal artwork on the side and she's like, you should really do this more often. You know, you should really pursue this side. I noticed, you know, yeah, yeah, kind of put it on the back burner, focus on the VFX stuff. And she kind of put the bug in my ear to like, you should really get back into it because it seemed like, A, you really love doing it and B, you're just super fucking talented. And if I, if I can see it, a lot of other people can see it. So it was, it was she gave me the motivation to get into it. And she's uh, helped uh, pretty much curate uh, my page on Instagram, help uh, build my Instagram following. So she was like, to me is kind of like this creative art director that sees the bigger picture. And, and I always pick her brain before I meant something, especially on super rare, like, and get her take. And she's like, you know, Oh, maybe take this object out, move this around or, um, cause I do it in, in, in uh, 3d software when I first make this artwork. So it's all done in 3d at first. So, uh, a lot of times I might, my camera might be too close to the subject. I have that problem. So she's like, pull back the camera. The composition's going to look way better. So, all right, I'll go ahead and do that. And like, it, she, it, she just kind of makes, um, as people know with, with art, it's that, that final 20% that can always be a bit hard. And I think she really kind of helps drive it home to 100%. So, yeah, behind a lot of great men is an even better woman, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I get it, man. I, I'm so fortunate. I have the same kind of situation with my better half. She helps me well, with, you know, all of the stuff that I'm working on. And, uh, you know, I don't think I could do it without her. And sometimes awesome. they don't get the credit, they don't get the credit they deserve. So shout out to you for, you know, 
for oh yeah yeah for sure mostly yeah definitely um yeah she's been a tremendous help and uh helped with all, even a few, a few of my collections on nifty man i can't tell you how uh much i've enjoyed this conversation this morning i, I really appreciate you coming on and um and talking with me is there anything that i didn't ask you that you want to say about yourself or your art or your vision of the future of digital art that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up the hour um i, th- I mean i think you really kind of hit all the the things i can think of um i'm trying to trying to think of other stuff but like like with the nft space like i really do think gaming is going to take off I, I know Do you play games are you into games oh yeah yeah what are you playing oh i was playing <laughs> uh a Final Fantasy VII, the original one from right the nineties. Yeah, right so I grew, yeah, I grew up um, with like an NES, a Super NES, and then went <laughs> into the sixty-four. Like I, yeah, it, it put a huge part, and then PlayStation, all the PlayStation games. But um, yeah, I've been even revisiting Final Fantasy VII remake I, lately. I've been obsessed with that game because the story—it's just classic, and. I find a lot of inspiration from those kind of games. Anything that's story driven. Some of those old school games, they're never, there's never going to be anything better than those, you know, like they just, so they're so OG and so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I love what last of us have, have, have done last of um, one and two. What do you, what do you think about everybody knows about the board apes? What do you think about what's going on with the board apes and the game and all of that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, like I really wanted to get a board eight, but I I was just like didn't really pay enough attention to it, and was just kind of too busy. So maybe in ways I kind of regret not getting one. And yeah, I think all of us didn't get one. Yeah, <laughs> didn't see what happened with those? I thought like when I first saw the art, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like um, uh, the artist that created uh, Tank Girl and does uh, gorillas. Um, I just thought it was a bit of like a knockoff off of that, like the style and aesthetics, but it was like something new within the space. And I know that they're like, I was way more into the crypto punks because I, I just thought that like the history and do you have anything? Do you have a punk or do you have any of that? <laughs> no, I, I just been uh, focused on collecting like other artists um, that I like. I absolutely gotcha. loved. So yeah, yeah. Board Ape, um, you know, I thought it was cool. Like, uh, I think it's kind of neat with like the kind of community stuff that they're building, but you know, also people like have the right to their own like opinion. People might get angered, disagree, but what's going on with like writer rips is really fascinating, and it might be a little That's too conspic- crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is like some things that are kind of hard to unsee <laughs> when that were like pointed out to say the least. So um, they can definitely go into like the, the conspiracy rabbit hole. But honestly, that's just um, all of that stuff is just NFT drama and noise. Well, without a little drama, you know, what's good, what's to keep us all here without a little soap opera action, you know, that keeps everybody talking and keeps the <laughs> energy, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, it's, a you know, some of it's a really negative and I don't like to be negative, but some of it's, you know, very interesting and also, you know, keeps us checking back in to see what's happening. Exactly. And I think, um, punks just flipped board eight, but 
like really has it because it's like it's all part of like yuga labs now so it's all the same now i think yeah. i think they're like what their yuga labs is like done with like that vision of creating um i guess their own kind of Fortnite, where you're like drop a character into the other world or the other side sure and you sure. get to socially interact with people it'd be kind of really cool if like maybe maybe that's what they're working on is they, they definitely it seemed like what I've seen is they created the environment, but it'd be really neat to, for them to like, for if you have a board ape to actually have that as an, your avatar and, um, in their, their metaverse. So that's what I'm assuming would happen. Yeah. I think the, the way they spin it is I have a other side deed. So I got into that, like, um, that like demo that they did where everybody got to run around yeah. in the world and like kind of play in that game for a little bit, which was actually really cool. And I'm not, I'm not really playing video games right now. Like my life's just not set up for it. I'm too busy, you know, but, but the whole concept of it is actually really cool. And I think that, um, you know, what they're saying is like that you'll be able to create an avatar from pretty much any NFT project, you know, like what, whatever it is, you know, like an Aku could fit into the other side or it could be a board ape that fit into the other side. Or if that Sulo comes out with a PFP project in the future and, you got butterfly could fly around <laughs> on the other side, you know, something cool. <laughs> Collect it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah. I mean, any, like the possibility, you just, <laughs> you just don't know what the possibilities are for something like, but that's actually like really cool. You could collect butterflies <laughs> on the other side, you know, a butterfly collector, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> butterfly yeah. collector. Dude, that's actually a really yeah. good idea. I <laughs> yeah. think it just gave you. <laughs> I'll give you credit. Man, yeah, like there's just so much endless opportunity there, and I think it's exciting. So much, there's so much. Yeah, this the world is just like unfolding so fast with with Web three. It's gonna be, it's gonna be so so exciting to watch what happens in the next few years. Yeah, and I think the last thing I'd yeah I'd like to say is yeah, even with like the bear market and things kind of slowing down, it's a good time to work uh, and build on something and that's why i think it's a good time i'm focusing on that that collection of the, of the butterflies because i'm not i feel like i'm in a rush and i just kind of want to be organic and and something i'm proud of so it's a good time to yeah build on something cool that's a great place to end it man thank you so much for uh for your time this morning man i know we didn't know each other before but it's great to get to know a little bit about you i'm i'm following your career i'm following what happens and i appreciate I'm it i'm a fan thank you so much yeah, thank for you sure. yeah for your time and opportunity to do it This is Chris Harper with The Ledge. I'd like to thank all my listeners. We just listened to an interview with Exulo, which was totally awesome. Thank you, Exulo, for your time. Anybody that wants to find me on social media, you can find me on my Twitter, at Harper underscore underscore Chris, or on Instagram at ChrisHarper.eth. And I look forward to connecting with you all in the metaverse.